In this episode of the Business E-Commerce, I talk with Jim Coleman about how to get started outsourcing customer support. This is the Business of E-Commerce, episode 155. Welcome to the Business of E-Commerce, the show that helps e-commerce retailers start, launch, and grow the e-commerce business. I'm your host, Charles Plesky, and I'm here today with Jim Coleman. Jim is the co-founder of Xfusion, where they provide outsourced customer support for e-commerce businesses. I asked Jim on the show today to talk about if you're a founder and you're thinking of hiring your first support person or outsourcing support, what are some of the do's and don'ts and what are some things you should absolutely do to make your first support hire or outsource successful? He works with a lot of e-commerce retailers, so I think he brings some great advice to the table and has some great tips here. So let's get into the show. And if you have any questions, leave them in the show notes and I can forward them over to Jim. So let's uh, get into this. So, hey, Jim, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm good, Charles. How are you? Good. Awesome to have you on the show. Um, Excited to dig into the topic of customer support and outsourcing. It's very uh, near and dear to my heart. So, (laughs) (laughs) so real quick, what do you, so you run an agency um, outsourcing support, essentially, right? We do. Yeah. It's called Xfusion.io and we, we provide customer support, customer success to founders. Um, we started kind of scratching our own itch. My, my co-founder David and I are, are both business owners and uh, we built out a team internally on, on each of our, our companies and then um, wanted to bring that to, to the broader market so that we kicked off oh, mid 2019 and it's been growing since then. Okay. Yeah. So I feel like support is one of those things where everyone it's usually one of like the, it's usually one of the first things you like, you're <laughs> trying to word this correctly. The biggest time sink at the beginning where you're just spending a ton of back and forth. Um, and a lot of founders want to kind of get it off the plate early, but I don't think a lot know how or know the right way. Maybe they're like running out of the inbox or just there's no docs. They just kind of doing everything out of their own head. What do you kind of see that? Do you, folks usually come to you at the beginning when, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm a founder, I'm, doing 100% mm-hmm. of support and I want to get this moving somewhere else. So where do folks usually yeah. start though? We have a really nice mix of both. So we have we have solo founders that come to us and they're just overwhelmed and, and swallowed up in, in support requests and, and other responsibilities. Uh, and then we also work with existing teams to help them scale. Um, I, I, I enjoy both, but I particularly enjoy working with with founders because of the, the wins that we can help them achieve at the earlier level. And, and what I mean is just that we, we like to focus on helping founders get back to the highest and best use of their time. And I recognize that like everybody has to make the decision on like when is the right time to pull the trigger for them. And I recognize that you know we have to build up revenue before we have the the, the bandwidth to be able to hire a team uh, to handle support. But one thing I like to consider is like if, if you're at that place where you can afford to do so and you don't, then you're spending a, a good chunk of time working on on tasks that are not the highest and best use of your time. In other words, things that other people can effectively handle for you, um, and and you're not working on areas of the business that only you can handle. So what we've seen is that that once um, once a founder will kind of take that jump and and hire us to handle support, they really free up a lot of their time and that allows them to move forward uh, at a much faster pace than they otherwise would. So I just, I really enjoy talking to founders and and, and um, just discussing their business with them and helping them get those early wins. What would you say if someone was kind of sitting there thinking about it? Because you have this obviously 
outsource or do I hire someone, a direct hire full time? Uh, if someone's kind of weighing that back and forth, what would you kind of tell them, yeah. like what they should, how they should be looking at that? Yeah, it's interesting. Like, we, we don't compete with, or we like to think of ourselves as not competing with other outsourced companies, but rather with the idea of hiring internal uh, versus versus external. And what I mean is, like, a, a lot of a lot of outsourced companies will will provide um, a resource to answer tickets, for example, on a, a per response basis. So the idea is that one agent might be shared across, you know, five or, or seven clients, and they'll sort of go into multiple different inboxes, and it's really hard to get high quality support. Uh, I'm just not a fan of that. So all of our agents are full-time dedicated. Um, we really focus on the customer experience and we believe that if you deliver that next level customer experience, that it'll pay off in time. And think like brands like Chick-fil-A, you know, there's just something magical about what they do. Southwest Airlines, Zappos, there's a lot of these that they provide next level support and it it creates the, the um, culture in their brand and, and their brand's reputation uh, and really helps take them to the next level. So that's the idea. Like we're, we're providing that level of, of service um, so yeah, I mean, it just, it, it, it depends on, on, you know, the, the founder's priorities and what they're looking to do. Um, there's certainly pros and cons of, of each approach, but one of the pros, I guess, of, of, uh, outsourcing would be the, the built-in management as well. So we provide redundant, um, agents to help cover the inbox. And then, you know, we also provide, uh, leadership and management over the inbox as well. So it really just depends on, on, uh, where the founder's at and how much, um, how involved they want to be in the process. Yeah, it's nice to have the redundancy, right? Because even if it's dedicated, that person's obviously going to have like time off um, at some point. And I've done that before where, you know, back in the day, there was one support person here. And when they're not here, you know, you as the founder kind of have to step back into support. And yeah, ha yeah having a backup, that that's the biggest thing. When you go from one to two, then all of a sudden like, all right, now there's, but if you can't do that, then yeah, it's nice having a backup. Yeah. What do you, yeah. when a founder is starting, how do you... How do you get someone, let's say I'm doing it full time, right? Like I'm doing support myself as a founder. How do you get them to basically like download their thought process, their brain into something that someone else can pick up and run with? Like, what does that process look like? It's really important. I, I think that like if we broaden that out just a little bit wider and kind of look at a 30,000 foot perspective, I, I'm really a fan of, it's kind of funny. It's funny that this, this is related in my mind, but back in the day I was in law enforcement and I, I went through sort of the, the law enforcement pursuit driving course and we're blazing around the track. And they told me that smooth is fast and fast is smooth. And I, I've, I've related that to the, the business world and saying that like, look, I, if, if we are going too fast in our business where we don't have time to document the process, where we're not building out process maps and we're sort of carefully documenting um, what we do and how we do it, then in my opinion, we're moving too fast. It's, it's the idea of building a, a skyscraper on a sand sand foundation versus on, on concrete. So I really encourage founders to take the time to, to document the processes. Um, so for example, if you answer a regular ticket or uh, the same type of ticket on a regular basis to just take a moment to document the process to do that. And you're basically tr creating training assets uh, and also just like other processes in your business. Like one of the things we do is we, we provide back office support as well. So not just customer support, but back office tasks, things that are just kind of, um, you know, fairly simple tasks, but, are, but they're also time consuming. So, and I also tell the founders that we work with, it's like, you know, at first, this is going to be more painful um, than beneficial to you. And what I mean by that is you're going to have to slow down your regular output and, and work with us to train the initial agent um, as to what, what, you, what, what you want them to do, what their responsibilities are going to be. 
but then you'll be able to accelerate after that person takes on uh, the responsibilities you've had. And then from that point, we create uh, training assets and also support assets. So um, internal and external support docs, processes in the inbox, all of that. And then we handle the training of future agents as, as our, our clients scale. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's just important for the founder to take a moment and document those processes. And um, gosh, I've seen that pay off so many times and be really beneficial as founders grow. This week's episode is sponsored by Pricing. Pricing is a competitor price tracking and repricing tool that helps e-commerce companies make intelligent pricing decisions. Using their dashboard and daily Excel reports, online sellers can monitor price changes and immediately make pricing adjustments. Here are some features that I love about Pricing. First is Smart Match. What Smart Match does is allows Pricing to search for your competitors and attach their prices right on your dashboard so you can monitor their pricing changes against competitors you already know about. They find competitors you didn't even know existed. Once you have that, you can configure your repricing rules. What this does is you can now set your prices to be based on the average price, the lowest price, the highest price of your competitors, go up and down. And also you can say, don't go lower than my cost by plus $5. Whatever you wanna do, you can set these rules and Pricing will automatically adjust your prices. Next is price change notifications. You can set rules to when prices change, Pricing will send you a notification alerting you of your competitor's pricing changes. Last but not least is a price history. You can then go in to the dashboard and look up all the pricing changes over time that Pricing has been monitoring. That way you know just because it's lower today, they might just be having a sale and it might come back tomorrow. You can see all your competitors on one chart. Super cool. I urge you to check it out. Thanks again for pricing, for sponsoring this week's episode. Now back to the show. Yeah, I think a lot of people get hung up thinking it has to be this like perfect thing from the beginning, right? Like it has to be this like golden document that's like a PDF and you can like send it to everyone. And what I've always tried to do, at least my approach here, is like if you're getting the same question even two or three times, just create like a KB article. It can be pretty basic, like almost you're basically just answering that person's question, but now in a KB article and just send it to them. And then next time, take that same KB article and just like add something or do something and just make it a little better. And at some point, it becomes like, it becomes the document. It really is like the definitive guide to whatever. And, you know, each time you send it to someone, it's just going to get better and you're going to refine it. But just that, like, right. be okay, be okay with a bad version. Like it's, you know, like yeah. there's no like police that come after you, like the doc, the PDF police. It's okay. Um, and that's what people yeah, kind of get stuck on. Yeah, I'm glad you're bringing that up because I, I think a healthy caveat to what I said was or is this idea that like analysis paralysis is is not good. That's not healthy. You know, doing these things at the absence or in the absence of taking action is not good. So it's not a matter of, of having the perfect foundation. It's a matter of just like documenting the steps and moving on. And the, the idea is to save time in the future, not get bogged down in perfectionism. So that's that's a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Uh, what else? What else do you kind of see people getting bogged down on in the early stages, other than just like analysis paralysis? Yeah, I, I think that um, 
that's really important to, to consider like from a 30,000 foot perspective, the type of, of customer support that you want to offer, like what you want your brand to be known for. We really prefer to work with clients that have uh, an emphasis on providing amazing customer support, uh, but not everybody does. But I think it's important to decide like what, what you're going to do and how you're going to do that. Establishing expectations and, and KPIs like, hey, we expect for chats to be answered within five minutes or less. We expect for emails to be answered with, within uh, an hour or less. And then just looking at the higher level things of, of the type of experience that you want to deliver to your customers uh, and the culture that you want to build at your company. So things like going above and beyond. I remember when I was a teenager, I think I was like 18, I worked at Home Depot and we used to get in trouble if we would point to, like if someone came up and said like, hey, you know, where, where light switch is at, if we would point to where they are, it's like, oh, it's aisle 18, like we would get in trouble for that. Like the expectation was that we would go above and beyond, we would walk them over there, even if it wasn't our department and we would show them, uh, you know, where the item is. And a corollary now in, in the world of remote customer support is if a customer writes in and they ask you a question about X, and you know that when they go down that path, they're, they're naturally going to have a question about why. Well, include that in your answer. Uh, if they ask you a question like, hey, what would you recommend? Like, can, can your app do this? Or can, you know, do you guys sell this? If the answer is no, then make some suggestions. It's the idea of going above and beyond to build that, um, that brand culture uh, in sort of, um, yeah, just the, the, the culture of your brand and the way that you treat your customers. How do you train people to actually do that kind of above and beyond? Because I do love when Home Depot, when I ask, you know, where like these little tiny screws are and they're like, oh, let me come like hold your hand and bring you down the end. Like, I wouldn't find yeah. that on my own. Like, but how do you, how do you actually train people to do that? Especially in a remote culture where you can't see them pointing, like, you know, how do you get them to actually understand, like lead the customer and go with them and help them with that? You know, it's a great question. The, the way we handle it is through vetting very early on. So we definitely provide training. We have an internal boot camp, and I'll, I'll talk to that about that in a minute. But but our focus is really from the beginning. I mean, we hire 0.5% of the total number of people that apply, and we ask them a series of questions that are really designed to assess their interest um, in providing next-level customer support. Uh, we want to find those people that naturally do that. So we have kind of like a little snippets built into questions that that evaluate for that. So I really recommend when 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 founders hire somebody, whether that's outsourced or, or, you know, on their own team, that they really evaluate um, that person's personality and mindset from the very beginning in, in the way that they answer questions, both in written form and then also, um, excuse me, in, in interview, you know, during the interview process. And then after we, we hire them, so like I said, it's a very small percentage that we hire, we put them through an internal boot camp where we go into really great detail. And by the way, like they, they've already been hired uh, with the expectation that they have excellent writing quality. We've already vetted all of that um, and that they have a, an emphasis on empathy and, and really providing high level of service to, to the customers they interact with. But from there, we provide a lot of training to them that, that really instills the idea of our brands. Like we are, we are, we deliver next level customer support here, are the ways that we do that. And we have discussions with that. So we have a full-time dedicated uh, trainer that provides um, training to them and, and also writing, coaching, et cetera. But it, it's, it's just, the, it's setting the tone from the very beginning. And I find that like in most cases, people really rise to those expectations. It's just like, I, I, like how is it that, Chick-fil-A over and over provides this incredibly high level of service. And yet like McDonald's, Taco Bell, some of these other ones just don't like, it has something to do with, with the culture and the expectations. Um, and then we're like, we're like very much like the Netflix philosophy. We're, we're quick to let people go if we have to, if they're not meeting that expectation and it's not without working with them and giving them a chance, but we, we just really focus on maintaining a culture of, of excellent customer experience and, um, just been a real priority. What's an example of a question you would ask to test for empathy? Like, you know, I've done a lot of interviews and 
it, testing for the hard skills, right? The technical skills, I got it. Like, can you do this? Like there's, there's a process of that, but testing for empathy, it's definitely more of a, you know, a, a soft skill. What, what is, what is some yeah. questions you'd actually ask to find out, you know, <laughs> like, are you a nice person? Like, how do you actually get that out of someone? <laughs> it's, it's theoretical scenario based questions. So for right. example, someone writes in and they um, are on a free trial of a Shopify app and they ask for an extension. What do you do? Or like we actually, we, we will give them, we will give them um, information. Like I, I own a small SaaS business that's in the Shopify space and I'll, I'll literally say, okay, here, here's the name of the business. Here's what we do. Like here's basic foundational elements and here's a customer question. And I'll literally like quote, um, you know, hey, this is Bob. I'm really upset because of this, this, and this. And I'll evaluate how they how they answer that. And then we have other questions like, um, I think one that we ask is, you found out that your friend is has been falsely accused and is imprisoned in a foreign country. What do you do? So like little things like that. It's like, you know, yeah, it's kind of goofy, but like it's amazing how how we can vet people and just based on the way they answer that. Uh, and then and also just getting a feel, uh, interviewing them. You know, and I just I I really think that that. All of us, or certainly most of us, have kind of a, a sixth sense about people and the way that they um, they connect on a call and the way they answer questions, et cetera. So it's kind of a combination of all of those things. Yeah, it's definitely it's a it's a tough position to hire for, right? Because yeah, you have to get on a call and you have to kind of really talk to someone like face to face. Um, I know, like the last support position we hired for here, quite literally got hundreds of resumes, and you know, you you bring those down to people. With, okay, so let's get a subset. And now, okay, let's get people on the phone. And by the time you're done with it, you're like, I've just talked to a lot of people to find, you know, yes. one hire. Um, yeah. So, you know, yeah. Charles, real quick before we move on, I think it's really important to, to consider that, like, if, like, it has to start at the top, it has to start with the founder. If, if you as a founder don't deeply, deeply believe in this, if you don't deliver that level of support, it's like, I, I still answer, like, we, we have a team of, of 20, um, 20 staff, but for my, for my own small SaaS, like I still provide all the customer support because I want to have an ear to the ground. Like I want to, to, to never forget what it's like to provide that, that, um, initial support. Um, and that really helps me stay aligned and, and it helps me continue that focus of, of excellent customer support. But like if it like you can't tell somebody to provide excellent customer support if you don't believe in that yourself or if you don't provide that yourself. So I think a good first step is to deeply evaluate that and make sure that you're really aligned with that. It's not just something that you say, but it's like really what you believe and what you're passionate about for your brand. One thing I've always thought of with that, or kind of just seen when, when you see behind the scenes a founder, how they talk to the team internally about customers behind their back, if that makes sense. I've oh seen, yeah, that's right. Like when you're behind the scenes, you can tell yeah. the founders that kind of like almost talk kind of like down yeah, um, about yeah. customers and users. And then you realize like, oh, this, that's how their that's how their team is talking to the public, um, to their customers about that. But the founders like, internally, they're like, I, I love my users. Like they're like the biggest, like they're like the cheerleaders for the users. This It just seems like it comes out in the support team. Um, I don't know. That's at least what I've kind of, from my limited seeing inside enough companies, it's almost how the founder talks about the users that influences how the support team will talk about the users. Yeah. It's like, it's the idea that the internal culture seeps yeah. out no matter what, and you can't yes. stop that. So yes. I think that's so critical. I mean, the, the way that we treat our team, like it starts there and, and like we treat them um, like they're very valuable to us because they are. So in terms of like paying more, like providing better benefits and just autonomy, like I, I despise screen recording software. Uh, I hate it because like I, I don't want, like I don't want 
my screen to be monitored constantly. I don't want to feel like I'm being monitored. Like we want to extend trust. And it's amazing how many people will rise to that level of trust. They really want to meet expectations. So the point is to like consider the internal culture of your company and make sure that's locked on. And then the natural outflow of that is the way that the team is going to treat customers. Yeah. I like that. When you said you guys do an internal boot camp, what is it? So someone kind of finally gets a job and then what are they actually kind of going, like, how do you get someone trained up on someone else's business? Like what's that look like? Yeah. Well, the, well, the internal bootcamp is, is an internal training before they're ever client facing. So they go through several days of training. They're working with a trainer. We have a lot of material as it relates to, um, writing quality, uh, grammar, writing structure, tone, empathy, like next level support, the way that we interact on our team. So just healthy remote communication. Uh, we work, everybody's remote and we, we, we use Slack. So just like, like all of our expectations in terms of the, the way we, we communicate. So all of that is handled initially in that boot camp training. And then after that, they're introduced to uh, the client. And that's when the client training begins. So we ask our, our client to provide that initial training to, to their agent or agents, as well as the team leader. So from the beginning, we have a, a backup uh, with, with the team leader being trained concurrently. Uh, and then that process takes from sometimes as little as a few days to a week and sometimes multiple weeks if it's a really complicated technical product. But, but in the e-commerce commerce world, you know, one week on average, um, and then we take it from there. Yeah. Yeah, it's a nice part. Support for e-commerce. I feel like there's a lot of level one, like where's my where's my tracking number, where's my order, those kind of questions. Does yeah. this fit, you know, that sort of thing. How do you guys handle when it actually is like a research question on, um, I was just working with an automotive retailer, right? Where does this part fit in this Mustang or whatever? Um, and people will call with those sort of, or I used to sell uh, equipment for like carnival machines. And like, does this heater work? Does this heating element work in this machine? And as a support person, you kind of have to go and like open PDFs and start like looking around. It's, do you guys do, do you guys train people to do all that? Is it like a knowledge database? Cause a lot of it would just be literally going to like a manufacturer's website, digging in, finding a part number. And it's, yeah. it's one of those things it's, there's no like direct process. It's more literally just Googling and doing a bunch of research a lot yeah. of times. It is our expectation that every member of our team goes above and beyond and provides a next level customer support, including, you know, doing research and things like that. It's also very important that they communicate really well. So for example, if, if an average ticket takes maybe five minutes to answer, depending on the client, if we have a team member that's spending, uh, say 20 minutes or 30 minutes and their output is lower because they're really digging into a particular ticket. Like I mentioned, we don't use screen recording software, but we instead ask them to prioritize really excellent communication. So we ask them to make an internal note, say like on help out or intercom or whatever platform we're using to say, hey, you know, I spent about 20 minutes researching this ticket so I could provide uh, an excellent uh, answer to the to the customer. And also it, it, it comes to like back to healthy expectations. Like when I have a conversation with a prospective client, I, I make sure that they know our focus on customer support and I make sure it's a good match. And not, not everybody is. And that's okay. Like, like there are some people that, that really want to provide sort of like super fast answers. They don't want to go above and beyond. They want to run their business that way. And th that's fine. But we have a conversation up front to say like, Hey, this, this is our brand. This is the, the level of support we provide. And just to make sure it's a good fit. Um, no, I guess like to play devil's advocate, there's, there's times when, uh, that can be too much or it becomes, uh, you know, unreasonable. So, you know, there's, there's a point where we need to have a conversation with, with the client and say like, Hey, like this is how much time we're finding that, it, that, that the agent is spending, providing this level of support. Like, how's that working for you? Are you, you know, are you good with that or whatever? Um, there's always a line, right? And, and it's rare, but you know, sometimes customers can kind of push that. So, 
um, you know, it would be reasonable as well. Yeah, I think there's a there's a let's a, a match between the agent and what the business requires for that type of ticket, right? Um, I've done e-commerce support before, where you should have a you should basically between between when you touch the ticket and when you close the ticket, it should be in the minutes, like you know, sub five, right? But then what Spark shipping? There's some tickets where I'd expect easily someone could spend over an hour in a particular ticket. Totally normal. They might. Um, we talk about screen recordings. You're, you're talking about screen recording from like a time tracker. Um, sometimes we do screen recordings. Just literally, someone support agents recording their screen to send to a user. On oh, I'm a huge fan of that. Yeah, I you, love that. Yeah, like send a Loom video. Oh, totally. Oh man, people are blown away by that. Which yeah. it's funny because like, you know, I use this all the time at uh, in my small uh, software business when I provide support. But like people, like so, I, it would take me maybe. 10 or 15 minutes to write out a fairly yeah. lengthy reply with screenshots, or I can make a two minute video and just show them what to do and, and even better yet, do it for them if, if that's appropriate and send them the video. People are just blown off their chairs. Like they cannot yeah. believe that. It's funny because like I just saved myself, you know, 10, 10 yeah. or 12 minutes. It's like, but, but they're just amazed by that. And it creates this like sort of um, a personal connection as well, because we're so removed. Like that's the thing about that we have to fight against with remote communication is that, that distance between people, you know, but say I, when I record a loom video, I, I like to have my, you know, face in the bottom left corner or whatever. Yep. So I'm just making a connection with the customer and they know I'm a human and they know I'm specifically talking to them. They can see, you know, my screen and I'm, I'm on their website or whatever. And, and it's just very connective um, and really builds, builds brand loyalty, which is a, a great bonus. Yeah. I feel like that, like you said, they, you know, they're talking to you, right? Like, yeah. um, <laughs> We had a support issue the other day with eBay um, and somebody had to reach out to them and contact them. And you read the response, you know, like, is this even to me? Like, this could be literally to anyone. Like, I don't even know. Like, you write this like one page long email and you get back this like two lines and like, they could have just copied them. This most likely is copy and pasted. Versus with the Loom, like you said, if it's appropriate, they're like in your account, they're basically doing the setup for you. And there's no confusion. And then you can go back, replay it. And yeah, we, I, I love doing that. Um, any other kind of things like that that you've kind of found work well, very, to, to like, point very of, good to like um, personalize? Yeah, exactly. And that's what I want to speak to a little bit more. I, I think saved replies as a template are a great yeah. idea and, and necessary because the truth is like most businesses have redundant questions, but but there's there's no reason that the, the agent or, or the founder, if they're answering support tickets themselves, can't personalize that. You know, so you start with a, a snippet, you have the, the basic information that they need, but, you know, add some personalization, you know, uh, things that are even obviously personalized, like, hey, happy Friday, you know, or um, good afternoon, like things like that. And then also uh, restating their question. So, yeah, you're going to provide a, a templated answer, but restating the question so you, so they know they they were listened to, right? Like, I mean, we all desire to be listened to and, and you can prove that you've listened to their 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 question by just sort of recapping that in a, in a quick sentence. Uh, another thing that that I ask our team to be really careful of is to make sure that that they're catching all of the sentence or all of the uh, the questions within the customer query. So attention to detail. So uh, as you know, a customer write, might write in, they have a question initially, and then a lot more information, and then another little question buried at the end. So being really careful to 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 grab those and make sure that um, you know that they're just paying really close attention and and listening well to the customer. Yeah, that's one of those things when you read um, some users when they send a support ticket, it's like a two line support message where you're like, all right, two lines, statement, question, got it, let's do this. Other times you get this like wall of text and there's like question, and you can see there's like question marks peppered inside and you're like, all right, this is gonna, this is gonna 
this is going to take some time just to like untangle and like, all right, let's read, pick out the questions, respond to each one. Cause people then will go, oh, did you not respond to all my questions? You're like, I don't know, there are six of them. Like, did I miss one? Was it a question? And like, so you need to really on some of them spend your time and like this time of just like breaking it apart, um, just so you can actually get in line. And I think what people, what people miss and it helps to keep in mind is you spend all this time and effort and money acquiring customers, right? You spend ad dollars, you're spending marketing dollars, all this stuff. And then to lose someone to drop the ball, it's like literally like you're right there. You're, you're, you know, you're almost in the end zone and you just drop the ball on something that could have just been a nice experience. And that's kind of, I feel like people need to frame support like that, that it's, you've spent all this money and resources and time already. And now you're just like, mm -hmm. this is a finish line and you just need to like, you just need to do a good job here. Yeah. I, th I think all of us at different times as founders are guilty of, of overemphasizing sales and marketing um, at the expense of, you know, what would it be? Customer loyalty, longevity, uh, reducing churn. I mean, it just, it, it, you're right. I mean, it's, it's crazy to spend, and I'm, I'm not throwing stones. I've totally been there, but like they spend so much money and effort acquiring a new customer only to lose them through, through an interaction that, that could have been better, you know, or lack of checking in with them or whatever. I mean, it's like just, just painful. Um, and to that end, another thing that comes to mind that I think is really important is to, to like, whether you hire internally as a founder or you hire uh, externally a, a support company to, to give your, your team permission to, to make decisions on behalf of the customer, to extend trust to them, to, for example, refund requests. Like what are the parameters that they, that they can uh, provide excellent service? Like they don't have to come back to you. And also like it's interruptive for them to go back to the founder, but also it, it provides a, a poor, um, you know, poor, poor, poor level of support to sort of you know, like, let me get back to you on this refund. So to, to extend uh, trust and permissions to, to the agents to be able to give refunds up to a certain dollar amount or effectively do whatever within reason it takes to please the client. Um, I, I've heard of famous brands like Ritz Carlton that, that allow their staff um, I don't remember the dollar amount, but some obscene dollar amount that the staff can do whatever they think is necessary to provide next level customer support to their, their customers. So things like that, where you empower the team to, to be able to provide that. And they feel like they have a sense of autonomy and authority um, to provide that level of support. What do you say? Cause, and I've seen a lot of founders get hung up in this one where like refunds, something like that, where you just think these support agents going to like run amok and give everyone a, a refund. Um, and I see people get like really hung up on this. Like it never happens, yeah. but like I see people really get worried about this. What do you kind of tell people to, you know, like that's, and I know it's not realistic, but only from, you know, I've done it, but like before you've done it, how do you tell people like, that's not going to happen? Like, trust me, it just <laughs> never happens. Yeah. That's what I think is. I think it's good to, to have a conversation uh, early on and just set really clear expectations. So it would yeah. be my job to, to talk to the founder and say, okay, you know, Joe, what, like, what are your think? What are you thinking in terms of like maximum dollar amount that we can extend uh, permission to the team to, to refund? And just also having a bit of a philosophical conversation on, um, you know, like, like, like scarcity mindset versus an abundant mindset. So like, mm -hmm. not like it's, it's 
I don't want to go in and sort of like act like I know everything about their business and kind of take over. But I think it's fun and interesting to have a philosophical conversation and just, you know, talk about things uh, like that. It's like, well, what do you generally feel about refunds? You know, because in my experience, I found that like if we're quick with refunds, even if we get taken advantage of on occasion, and that sometimes happens, it's better in the long run to have that more abundant mindset. And it's better for the brand. Like, I, you know, in the e-commerce world, like I'll do almost anything to avoid a, a negative review within reason. But, but my point is I will even let people take advantage of me to a point to avoid that that um you know negative impression on the business it's just not worth the damage to be right you know even when i know they're they're taking advantage or that they're in the wrong it's not worth it to win you know for me to be right uh, at the expense of the business so it's thinking about things like that um but, but my point is it's just it's fun to have conversations with founders that are along those lines and just kind of see how they're thinking about about things like that yeah that's interesting to frame it like that with the abundance mindset on just like, and just understanding 99 point whatever percent of these orders are just going through. Everything's just like fine. It's the support's really dealing with that like a 1%. Like they've already, something has gone, something weird has already happened. So now how are you like solving yeah. that? And like, just let the other 99% do their thing. They probably went flawless. They got their tracking number. They got their yep. product. They're happy. But this uh -huh. 1%, like how do we deal with that? And if, and if we have to give refunds on some percentage of that, so be it, right? It's yeah. it's part of it. And I think a lot of yeah. people going into it don't realize this is just, this is part of it. You're gonna have to, there's some percentage of revenue. I don't know what that number looks like uh, on average, but there's some percentage of revenue that's just assumed to be refunds. And I think once you just kind of get okay mm -hmm. with that, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's kind of a silly example, but I, I go back to Chick-fil-A again. I think like <laughs> they're an example of a company that has a really abundant mindset and you can use the example of Southwest too, but like Chick-fil-A, I mean, they'll give you a ton of sauces like for no extra money. And then like, I've been through drive-thrus at, at other fast food places and they're like, Oh, can I get some barbecue with, with my fries? Like, Oh yeah, that'll be 50 cents. Like things like that. It's like, you know, like I just, I really appreciate the brand more when there's that level of abundance Southwest airlines with, with the free bags, you know, like little yeah. things like that. I, I just, I, I just, I don't know. I think reciprocity comes in there. Like, I think that builds brand loyalty when you know a, a brand is willing to go above and beyond. It just has a, a, an abundant mindset in general. It just really builds customer loyalty. And it probably depends on the type, the type of company you're trying to build, right? Um, last week's episode, sure. um, we were talking about just, there's some folks that play in that, like very low end, like you're competing over price. And that is a, that's a way to do it, right? That's a business model. Um, Amazon, Walmart, they're not small companies, right? Um, so they've done okay. But like as it's almost as a smaller retailer, you can't compete there. So you have to compete on these other um, ways of doing business, like that brand loyalty um, going above and beyond because you can't compete with Walmart. Like you're not going to beat them at that game. And that's different. They don't need to, they don't like Walmart doesn't give great support. They don't need to, they give the lowest prices. You know, when you're going in, that's what yep. you're going to get. And you can't compete with their it's prices. Expectation. Yeah. So, yeah. and it's a match, yeah. but as a small retailer, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to compete with Walmart. You're not going to compete with Amazon. So you need to compete on some other playing field. And this is an option. When you talk about customer success, I think we talked about that. We touched upon that earlier briefly. What's the difference? And I always see people kind of use these terms interchangeably. How would you define one uh -huh. versus the other? Yeah, I really think they're quite different. The, the way I look at it is customer support is almost completely reactive. So answering support tickets, um, chats, 
uh, phone calls, et cetera, where customer success by design should be almost completely proactive. So that's concierge level onboarding for a, a SaaS product. So maybe a SaaS product that supports e-commerce uh, retailers. I used to, to work for one um, in customer success and we provided email automation. So we would do concierge level onboarding where a new client would sign up, we would walk them through the product, set it up for them. Uh, it's also proactive outreach. So, um, you know, relationship building. So in the e-commerce world, there's maybe people that, that buy products on a recurring basis, basis and sort of a larger scale. So it's maintaining uh, and growing relationships with, with people like that. It's, it's also looking out for churn. So in the case of a, a SaaS product that maybe supports e-commerce retailers, um, you know, evaluating the customers that may be likely to churn based on certain metrics. So like, hey, you know, they haven't sent out an email in, in this many days, uh, et cetera. So it's being just really, really proactive and um, deeply supporting the customer through, through a, a meaningful personal relationship. With e-commerce, are you actually are folks proactively reaching out like a high dollar, uh, high dollar, high order value order comes in? Um, are people like reaching out to them saying like, "Hey, you've spent X amount. Like, should we just talk about the?" Are people is it that level of customer success? Yep, totally. And I, I get that like this is not something, whether we're talking about SaaS or, or e-commerce, not every SaaS business or not every e-commerce company can afford customer success. It's really the higher end products that generally can. So in the SaaS world, you know, customers are paying $500 to $2,000 a month in the e-commerce world. I mean, I remember one of the customers we used to support uh, at the the email company I worked I worked at was a company that sold like computer racks. So I mean, their their clients would, would spend thousands of dollars uh, and very much at the kind of enterprise type type level, um, or, or at least medium business enterprise type level. So in situations like that, like definitely there's room to reach out to, to those, those folks and cultivate relationships, uh, get to understand them better, understand their needs. Like wh when would they be likely to need to make a recurring pur purchase? Like what are, what are, what are their goals? Um, you know, are they just trying out the, the computer racks in hopes to buy them for all, you know, 50 locations or whatever, like just to understand uh, the way they're thinking and kind of, um, you know, what their plans are. But I would argue that you can, you can automate some of that, even for e-commerce businesses that have maybe a, a little bit more affordable product um, and send out a sort of automated emails, getting to know them, asking, you know, what their intent is, et cetera, uh, especially if it's, you know, maybe on the wholesale side or something that's a little higher ticket price. Yeah, I was talking to a user here, um, and they sell IT equipment to schools. So, like, you know, average order values in thousands of dollars, sort of thing. And there's orders that are tens of thousands. So they call every, like every order. They make someone in there is making a phone call. Hey, let's just review this order. Let's talk about it. And someone's going on the site submitting a very large order, and they just proactively call them back every time and just talk through it. Um, and some of these just like. Right, the shipping—it's going to come on a loading dock. You have a like a um, a floor jack. Like some of these, you know, at the higher dollar value, there's some just real questions you have to ask. On okay, do you have a lift? Like, what's that look like? Do we need a um, the ramp on the back of the truck? Like, versus like you said, some lower. You know, if you're selling t-shirts or something, you're probably not calling every user. It just doesn't make sense. So, I feel like success can fit into certain businesses, but not others. In that case. You mentioned you mentioned automation. Um, where do you see that kind of fitting into support? Like, how do you how do you pepper in just enough automation without being over automated and still have the human factor? Yeah, I mean, it depends on if you're talking. So, when you say automation, the first thing I think of are two things: like chatbots, and then the second would be inbox automation, um, like help save replies. Um, 
internal docs, external docs, et cetera. But I'm, well, it's probably not a surprise. I'm not a fan of, of chatbots. And I, I recognize that in certain situations, they may make sense. But I just, I love people and I love connecting. And I love that human experience. And I just feel icky when I get to a chatbot. Like I, I do everything I can to sort of like trick the system to give me a, a real person to talk you, to. I'm just, just not just a fan. If you ever read through the, the uh, raw logs, users like, yeah, everyone's trying to just like figure out how to get around the chatbot as quick as possible. Yes. It's amazing. Yeah. I, I am not a fan. Now, yep. now, that said, I recognize that in certain use cases, it may make sense. But what I am a fan of is is automation in the inbox that that makes support more efficient. Not at the expense, like we talked about earlier, earlier of personalization, but but there are ways that you can blend the two to provide a better uh, level of, of service. For example, like chat responses, those can be, you know, you can put in a sort of automated response and, and customize or, or personalize the, the bookends of the, the, the response and deliver something that's, that's really high quality. Um, I just, I don't, I don't like automation where it's obvious to the customer that things are being automated. Uh, and I think it can lead to, to lazy work sometimes, you know, it can lead to an over-reliance on these automations. You've had that feeling where it's like you're talking to a human in a, in a sort of a chat sequence or email sequence, and you know that the, the, the answer they pasted in is totally yeah. just pasted in. And what I mean by that is like, it's like, okay, the first paragraph was relevant, but the last two are really not. So that's another yeah. thing is like you can paste in an automated reply and then sort of edit out the irrelevant parts. Uh, and I was chatting in with with Xfinity Internet the other day, and it was like it was very much that. It's like ah, I know what you're doing there. It's like I don't really like that so much. Yeah. <laughs> it just felt a little uh, spammy, you know. Yeah, yeah. I've so even used on automated replies sometimes. Just having a like here's like the whole automated template, and here's different options inside of there, and it's made so you're gonna go in and have to delete, you know, three out of the four of these, and you pick the one you want. So it's basically just like, hey there. X and then you fill that in, you know, best regards and may, and then there's different things you could have in there. Hey, here's a link to our pricing. Here's a link to our demo. Here's a link to, you know, five different things. And then you just say, okay, let me remove the ones that don't make any sense. And you know, like I can, I can never send this as is like, I have to, I have to rework this. So it sets a certain expectation that like, I can still use it and get some value out of it. And I'm more, I'm more editing than, um, having to type. So it still gives you the best of both worlds. Yeah. You know, that reminds me, Charles, of, of another really important attribute, um, you know, of, of a really good customer support agent or customer success, and that is high trait conscientiousness, someone that, that really pays attention to detail. And and we screen for that as like one example, you asked about example questions earlier. Uh, we'll say something like in, in less than 75 words, tell us about a hobby of yours and why you enjoy it. So the point of the question, like, yeah, of course, we want to get to know them a little bit better. But the, the main point of the question is to see if they follow directions. And, and you'd be surprised at how many people will, will go over that, um, that limit. It's like, well, they clearly didn't follow directions. Um, so we'll, we'll have a few of those built in. And if, if they miss so many points in that process, we just we don't further them in the application process. Because in my mind, if they're missing that at that level, and, and you would imagine that when people are applying for a job, they should be paying really close attention to sort of the, that process. So if they miss those things there, then I can expect that they're likely, um, you know, likely to miss them in a, in a support interaction. And, and not everybody is, is, you know, pays real close attention to detail or is, is really conscientious. So um, I think it's important to find those people for for just that point, so they can uh, craft re responses that are are quite detailed, and you can expect them not to miss questions within a customer response, et cetera. So. Yeah, that's one of the things I've noticed with the hiring. You, that, yeah, there's a trick of just like, hey, could you do me a favor and follow follow up with me um, tonight about this and send me a, 
send me a, um, a meeting request for next week. You pick the time, anytime I'm available, just send me a meeting request for next week by tonight. And if the person can't do that and you give them, you know, give them eight hours or whatever, give them a reasonable amount of time to do something. And if they can't do that thing, you know, like where you're not paying, like, did you not care? Like what, what happened here? And if there's no, you know, oh, I got really sick. My kid got sick. That's what, like, if the, fine, I get it. Things happen. But if someone can't follow that, like a simple thing, like you said, some detailed set of instructions is just going to yeah. get off the rails. Yeah, it's a good point. And we try, I mean, we're, we're, you know, we try to recognize that, hey, like none of us are perfect. We're, we're going to make mistakes. I mean, we, you know, we build in, build it into our system where we expect a certain sort of score when they go through that process. We're not looking for perfection, but you can just get a read on people. If they're missing several questions like that and missing the details, it's pretty, um, you know, you can definitely expect that they're going to be doing that when they actually get on the job. Before I let you go, you mentioned the one last thing, and I see people get too into this or not enough. Usually people follow one or the other, but you mentioned um, having some sort of like metrics and like KPIs and those sort of things. Where do you, where do you stand on that? And how do you balance going like, you know, KPI crazy and like, oh, we're gonna, we're gonna measure like the, how many minutes you've been in per ticket to then there's other folks that are just like, you know, KPIs, whatever, like they just don't measure anything. Where do you kind of fall on that? Yeah. I, I'm not a fan of setting finite KPI expectations across the board, um, like saying, oh, it's exactly this number of minutes. I mean, like I can give you a, like a rough average, but it's very client specific. So I think it's important for, for each founder to really consider, you know, what is the level of service that they're wanting to deliver? What is the cost of their product? How technically complex it is, is it? What, what's reasonable? I mean, should a chat, you know, take this long to to um, to finish? Should, should an email take this long to finish, et cetera? Um, and then I'm, I'm a big fan of just really, really healthy communication. And I don't, I don't like setting like an overwhelming number of KPIs. I, I really like the idea of boiling down the most important few and setting those expectations with the team and then also expecting them to communicate really, really well. And we're a huge fan of using the, the notes section in like Help Scout, Intercom, et cetera. Um, so, we, so the agent can document like, hey, this is a little bit of an edge case situation. Here's what I did, et cetera. So the founder can see that. But I think that's, it's important to have KPIs, but not an overwhelming number where they just... It's sort of like, um, you know, if everything's a priority, then nothing's a priority. It's that sentiment. So I think it's it's important to boil that down to just the most important few. Yeah. And any number you give someone, right, they're going to push hot on that number and then kind of ignore the other numbers. And if you give them too many numbers, then they're going to pick one and it might not be the one you're looking for. So having, yeah, like you said, being very particular about which ones, because um, those are the ones they're going to focus on. And if you give them too many, like you said, there's no focus. So Cool. I think that's a good place right Absolutely. there. People, yeah, thanks. That's I think that's very helpful. Um, if people want to kind of check you out, check out what you're working on. What can they do that? What's the best place? Yeah, probably, probably the best place would be on our website. It's xfusion.io. So it's xfusion.io. My email is jim at that domain. Uh, you can find me on on LinkedIn would be a good place. Um, David and I, my, my co-founder, we, we love to talk to founders. We love to talk shop. Neither of us are salespeople. We don't have a sales background. We love just connecting and, and um, you know talking about founders' businesses and getting to know them. So I uh, would love to have any, any conversations with uh, any of your listeners and just talk shop. Awesome. I'll drop a link to the show notes and uh, yeah, definitely folks should reach out. So thanks a lot for coming on, Jim. That was appreciated. Yeah. Thanks, Charles. Really appreciate you having me.